Hey there, welcome to Ta for Ta. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Alice Mung, Executive Director for Asia Society Hong Kong, at the Outdoor Sculpture Garden on a Friday afternoon. We talked about being inspired by Asia Society and how Hong Kong has a spirit, but not yet a soul. Bubbling with energy, she peppered our conversation with the most fascinating museums, documentaries, lectures, and art that are capturing her attention right now. We also get into the details of China's museum development and potential non-traditional paths of delivering culture to the masses. Honestly, this episode you can't miss. Hi, Alice. We are so excited to have you on the show today. Could you actually give us a lead up of how you came to Asia Society? What was your background before this and why Asia Society? Um, my background uh, before coming to Asia Society um, here in Hong Kong has been in, um, I was in New York for nine years doing, uh, working on, for two nonprofits. Uh, one of them is called Committee of 100, uh, and I did that for six and a half years as the um, executive director, and then about almost two years as the executive director of uh, Museum of Chinese in America. And... About 2011, I was ready to leave um, uh, New York, uh, leave the U.S. again, uh, and come back to Asia. I had worked in Hong Kong from 92 to 2002 um, in, first of all, as the trade, Ohio's trade representative here in Hong Kong from 92 until 95. In, in 1995, I joined um, a private company here, in, well, a public company, a Hong Kong company, a uh, property firm called Hong Long Development, working for its chairman. So that was from 95 until tail end of 2002. And that was also around the time I, uh, 98, 99, uh, finished, uh, did an executive MBA here in Hong Kong. And so about 2002, I was ready to, to change again. So I started off my career in, in government, in state government of Ohio. Uh, in, as a trade specialist, and then later on as the uh, director, uh, managing director of the office here in Hong Kong. So started off uh, in government for nine years, uh, about seven years in the private sector here in Hong Kong, and then another nine years in the nonprofit sector in the U.S. Coming back to Hong Kong in 2003, I'm sorry, 2011, was to really think about what is the next phase of my career. Um, and the next phase of my career, I thought, would be going back to the private sector. Um, I missed the energy and the dynamism of Asia, especially Hong Kong. And since I had lived here for 11 years, um, coming back was not a, you know, I have a, a Hong Kong ID card. I, I miss my friends. I had a, you know, my, my degree, uh, my EMBA degree was done out of here in Hong Kong. So 2011, I was ready to come back to tell myself, make some money, um, but really have fell in love. Uh, the minute I walked into this campus, November of 2011, it was still, there was still bamboo scaffolding around. And I knew we were getting ready to open the center um, February of 2012, uh, because I, a lot of my friends were involved with this project uh, from, the, from the very beginning. The, the project, I mean, a permanent home for Asia Society Hong Kong. And in 93, when I was working um, and living here in Hong Kong, um, I became an Asia Society Hong Kong member um, because back then, um, besides 
the American Chamber um, working. Um, there really wasn't that much um, uh, in terms of cultural or, or things to do outside of work, uh, work-related. So uh, I thought, and I made a lot of great friends uh, as a member of Asia Society Hong Kong. So I knew the work of Asia Society Hong Kong from 93 on until I left, uh, 2002. So I knew they were working on the, the building up the home. I always knew that. And so when I got to see it for the first time in November, I think it was late October, early November of 2011, uh, having an opportunity to see the site for the first time. I had never seen it um, before. I heard about it. And so after seeing the site and seeing, just really f falling in love with, with, you know, you're being in the middle of Hong Kong and there, there's this really beautiful campus. And, but at that time, we had not opened yet. And the executive director at the time um, asked me if I would help out with the opening. And so, so I knew I could do that because I had done that with the museum in New York. So I said, sure, I could help. And also uh, the chairman was my old boss. And when he and the executive director asked for, for help, I had at that time no job. Yeah, yeah also I had no job. I mean, and, and, and I knew I wanted to find a job back in Hong Kong. So when they asked for me to help, I said, sure, I can give myself three to six months to help with the opening, and, uh, and that was the plan. So um, I decided to, to put on the consultant hat and think about what, we, what needs to be done. Um, uh, the staff was already in place, uh, about 20, 20, 25 people. The executive director was really, she was wonderful, and I just kind of put on the, 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 you know, just started helping out. For, for the opening. So what keeps you falling in love with Asia society? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Hong Kong has such a dynamic and growing art scene. The people here, the space here. I'm curious what keeps you falling in love? What keeps me, I mean, I falling in love with it. I, I it's, um, seems such a romantic. Yeah. I mean, but it's really fitting in, in, in light of our current exhibition, Love Long, uh, Robert, Indiana and Asia. So, but it is, a, it's, um, I think it's maybe not love is the right, is it being inspired? I think I, ever since that first, ever since saying yes, uh, in February, in, in November of 2011, um, I said yes because I see the potential. Uh, and at that time, being able to work with a wonderful group of um, my colleagues, um, you know, I was just basically coming in to help out. As a consultant, you can, I got to know everyone because I wasn't planning on staying. So, um, and my modus operandi was really getting to know people because uh, I also know, having engaged consultants before, that um, consultants um, can be good and can be bad. So I think for me was really learning to how to, uh, really learning to work with the colleagues, the staff. And from that, I think I really kind of was inspired by them. I mean, I, I don't want to say fall in love with my staff, but in some ways it is. It's like they were all very dedicated uh, from day one. I think everyone who joined, some of them had, I think there were a handful of staff had been around for longer. Basically, Asia Society went from, uh, 12, 10 to 12 people uh, in the 2000. And then when they were getting ready to open the center, 
um, when I joined, it was about 20 people, 20 or 25 people. So they were all very dedicated. And so that was one of my first inspirations was them, you know, the, the dedication of, of the staff. And then after we open is really the, the potential, the, the, the variety of programs we've been able to do um, and attracting the kind of speakers, performers, um, really the, the, the best in the field. And, and they all wanted to work with us. And you just can't not be inspired by that. You know, we've had um, uh, that first year, we, even though they didn't perform for us, they visited us. Uh, the Silk Roll Ensemble, along with Yo-Yo, Yo-Yo Ma and, and the entire Silk Roll Ensemble. Um, and you can think another year later, we had Joshua Bell performing here. Um, and since then, we had, um, you know, let's, let's stick with the Silk Row. Uh, Uman, uh, the uh, wonderful peepaw player, uh, did a program for us um, last year. And we were always, people always said yes to us or, or asked if they can do something for us. And so uh, we had performers like uh, the Romeros, um, Spanish guitar family from Los Angeles. Uh, it started off with Pepe Romero, and then a year later when he came back with his family, Lo Los Romeros. I mean, it's people like that. I mean, we were always getting great artists, great speakers, um, and and I, I pinch myself almost uh, all the time. like, wow, they said yes, and you just kind of, I think they're inspired by the building, I have to say, and also the mission. Um, I'd like to believe they, the, the mission of Asia Society Hong Kong is very much to be a bridge um, to serve um, the understanding. In, in the beginning, it was really, uh, in Hong Kong, understanding of, of U.S. Um, but, you know, most people understand the U.S. because, you know, movies, TV, soft power, you know, music. I mean, but it's the other way around. And also Asians, understanding Asians among each other. That, I think, was a bit lacking, and we kind of served the purpose. Uh, so one of the, my, my greatest, um, something that I'm really proud of, and the team has done a great job, is we've done this wonderful India festival called India by the Bay, and that has been going on for four years now. And every year it goes from strength to strength, and they, the, the organizer are, and ourselves, we really bring in some of the best um, artists uh, you know you know to come and perform here and it's all there's a lot of love I mean it's not just us um, on the part of our, our staff but also the people that we work with um, the heart was always in the the, the programming and the um, uh, the the work that we do or people that come in so the heart has always been part of this equation um, in this last six years, um, you know, whether it's big program or small program, the heart has always been uh, vital to what we do. So, so that's what keeps me, you know, inspired. And I look forward to coming to work every day uh, because it's, it's rare to find something you love to do and, and, and continue to be able to do it. It's connecting. Right. I think it's so interesting that you're writing off this theme as I was walking in, I saw the iconic Robert and Deanna love sculptures on display. Um, I think we had talked about this before the interview that Indiana was fascinated with Chinese calligraphy and Chinese writing. I think something that's largely unknown to the masses. Had you actually come across this exhibit? And could you actually tell listeners a little bit more about what's currently on display? 
it's a, I think you're right about this exhibition. Whatever we do, we uh, this exhibition, Robert Indiana, lo- uh, Love Long, Robert Indiana in Asia, has, this is our, I believe, our 17th um, exhibition. And each of our exhibition, what we try to do is have an Asia connection that either further the scholarship of the uh, artist or further the scholarship of Asia, there has to be some sort of Asian connection. We are, after all, here in Hong Kong, and we are called Asia Society. So for me, this show was really special in that we all thought we know Indiana. We all thought we, you know, seen the love sculpture and um, and the curator of this exhibition, uh, Moako Tasuka, who um, is a wonderful curator. Moako um, was a former colleague at Asia Society. Uh, in fact, she helped us put together our first exhibition here in Hong Kong. Um, our first exhibition was a Buddhism and Art uh, from the Rockefeller Collection. But it was Rockefeller Collection and also um, kind of pairing it with contemporary, on uh, uh, Asian uh, contemporary art in uh, with a Buddhism focus. So Moako was at Asia Society before, and and then she left to Japan to join um, Japan Society, and then a couple of years ago she left to do to be she's now an independent curator. So when she brought the project to us, um, I have to say at first I was skeptical because I did not know Indiana had any connection. Neither did I. I don't think a lot of people knew that Indiana in 2002 was one of the earlier artists, uh, uh, American artists, to go to China. Uh, So 2002, he had an exhibition in Shanghai. And I subsequently found out in the late 90s, he also um, did an exhibition in Singapore where one of the um, developers had uh, installed uh, a love sculpture in Singapore, and he actually went to Singapore uh, and then. He has never been to China, and he has never been to Hong Kong, but he had always been interested in um, China or Chinese. Um, I think uh, the I Ching, I think he has read. Remember, he's a product of the 60s, and in the 60s, many of these artists were interested uh, in Chinese philosophy. I mean, some of them were hippies, right? But but in, in a really interesting way, he, he, he had studied, uh, he had been interested in Chinese philosophy and, and Chinese characters. So what Milwaukee was able to do was really open up that part of his career that many of us did not know about. And it was, for us, it was perfect place here in Hong Kong, Asia Society Hong Kong Center, the Chantel Miller Gallery, where we, we did this, this exhibition. Another reason we wanted to do this exhibition was the outdoor sculpture. Um, of course, it would have been great to have a love, uh, uh, love the actual love sculpture here. And we actually have four um, different variations of the love sculpture. And one of them is the love sculpture. Um, he has various editions, but this one um, is now on, one of them is on our roof garden. So the, the outdoor nature of this exhibition was also another draw. And, uh, and, and Hong Kong, surprisingly, does not have, have never hosted a love sculpture as far as I know. Uh, we know there's a love sculpture in Shinjuku in Tokyo. There's even one in Taipei. And there, I know there's one in Singapore, but right. there's not one here in Hong Kong. So we thought it would be nice uh, as part of this exhibition uh, to bring the love sculpture here to Hong Kong. Can you keep it here? Uh, I think temporary temporary loan is a possibility. Um, 
keeping it here who knows if somebody we'll see. somebody want to make that possible that would be great because uh as part of our first exhibition uh we have a wonderful uh Zhang uh Zhang Huan uh Long Island Buddha and the Long Island Buddha is a wonderful sculpture that he did uh as part of the first exhibition and that was on loan here for two years and then one of our wonderful supporter made a gift of it for us and so it also now resides on the roof garden so who knows if somebody would like to make the love sculpture part of our uh, or even even buy it and put it on our roof garden as a loan we're open to to that but but it's always nice to have i believe public art outdoor art is really important um because it's um it's a kind of first entree for a lot of people into seeing you know, artwork i think you mentioned that you like space and you like architecture I'm actually curious to know what spaces have left an impression on you. I've always lived in cities, come to think think of it. Um, I've always, you know, um, city, I'm living in Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. And the 13 years I was in Ohio, there was a lot of space. Even in going to school in Columbus, I mean, that's a pretty big city of a million people. So um, I am more of a city person. And I think, I've always been attracted by how a sculpture can make the city look more humane. Um, when I moved back to New York uh, in 2002, I think it was 2003, uh, one of the largest public art project uh, was The Gates by uh, Christo uh, in Central Park. And I remember that made New York so, in the middle of winter, there were visitors from um, all over the world coming to see the gates. It was only there for about a month. And I think sculptures or art has a way of humanizing a city. And, and because everybody's running around, um, you know, it's cities like New York, Hong Kong, um, it's so busy in Tokyo and Taipei. So sculpture to me is, it's humanizes space. I, maybe it goes back to when I was a kid. I was born in Taiwan, I left when I was 10. But my parents, um, when we were children, would take us to the uh, Palace Museum in Taipei. And I remember as a kid just loving the space of the Palace Museum. Um, just not so much the inside, but I, Palace Museum, in my mind, equates to Sunday with my, my father and mother um, and my brother. Uh, and, you know, it just, it's a space of exploration and having fun, spending time with family and, and and then you can go inside to explore the artwork and, and you know, um, the culture, the really unique. So I that has stuck with me, having space, um, f space, family time, you know. And so wherever, I also remember another really vivid memory was a second day when we, when we arrived in the United States. Um, my parent, my dad took us to the Washington Monument and all of the monuments in Washington, D.C. We, we flew into uh, uh, Dulles Airport and, and I, you know, I was a 10 and a half year old kid and where did my parents, my father yeah. took us. I mean, so those kind of things, those memories stay with you uh, as, a, as a child. And so I've always been attracted to museum spaces, public spaces. How do you make that, continue to make these spaces accessible to, to people, families? Um, you know, um, not often can you drive out to the countryside, um, but while you're in the city, how do you, like in Central Park, living in New York uh, for nine years and, and living really close to Central Park, 
that really also fascinated me about public space and 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 buildings and another when I worked when I was in New York, uh, my job was with Comedia One Hundred, and Comedia One Hundred uh, was founded by I M Pei and Yo Yo Ma, and I remember meeting I M at one of the my first conference. Uh, this was been two thousand. And three, meaning I am, have long been an admirer of his work. I've been to the National Gallery uh, in, in in Washington, um, and he's like icon. He's God, <laughs> right? Right. So, so, so space. A way he kind of made space, um, indoor space. And 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 later on, I had an opportunity to see his museum uh, in his hometown, Shudo. It's like he makes it accessible uh, he, he's just uh and good architecture i think does that so i've always been fascinated by by how architects can can make a public space yours you know and make it very tranquil or uh peaceful and i think asia society here in hong kong does that yeah i think that's why i brought it up yeah because this space embodies so much especially looking at the mission I mean, even the materials here are sourced exclusively from Asia. It encompasses so much of Hong Kong's past and what it hopes to be in the future. I think that any visitor upon arriving here is immediately aware of the presence of the space. But you also see that Asia society is a hub for art and a hub for culture. I mean, coming off Art Basel this week and and pluses on the horizon... <laughs> What do you think is in store for Hong Kong next in terms of art and culture? I think that is a really wonderful, interesting question. I think it's really a big positive. I think people have been skeptical. I mean, they've been talking about M plus for a long time. Uh, even when I left, I remember two thousand and two, there were three projects they were talking about: uh, M plus, Central Police Station, and Asia Society. Actually. Not so much Asia Society, because we were not that public, but everybody was talking about M-plus and West Kowloon. And there were a lot of skepticism, um, and there still is some. But I have to say, this last six years, witnessing um, w you know, what Hong Kong has really decided, I mean, whether it's the government or the community, or, you know, it's decided that it has, it's time that it adds the arts and cultural component to it. And and this is interesting you said that. in When I lived here in the 90s, um, Asia Society was my haven because I remember going to some of the program in the evening, whether it's Christie's or Sotheby Talks, Asia Society always had something um, that was not just business, but you know a bit of the arts and cultural component to it. Not much, but, but always has something. And now coming back, and, and in the 90s, I always, I said to somebody, uh, some friends, Hong Kong was a city with a spirit, a lot of spirit, but no soul. Hmm, what do you mean by that? Meaning that, you know, you don't, uh, arts and culture, it, like if you look at London, New York, Paris, um, the cities have a spirit and a soul. Soul meaning it's, it's, it appreciates, it's only like the right brain and left brain. And Hong Kong was a, a, a kid with, you know, with a lot of energy. It was not just a kid, it's a young person, a wonderful dynamism in terms of making money and business and business. Um, but when it comes to the arts and cultural side of it, you had collectors, but they, you know, unless you go to the, the auctions or, or, you know, it didn't have that much of a soul. But now I think it's dedicated with this, just coming out, like you said, this entire month of what's happening here in Hong Kong and the planning. 
Um, I think, yes, some things were maybe not ideal, uh, some of the decision earlier made, but whatever the case is, it, it's, it's going to happen. And so that excitement, um, you know, we opened Asia's, you know, February of 2012. Our Basel came in May of 2012. So we've seen it. We, we, we've, yeah, we, we have grown with them, and they've grown with us. And it's not just us, but the, the you know, right now, uh, Hong Kong Gallery Association, uh, we do a lot of program with them um, this last uh, two years. And originally, I think they were telling me in the 90s, even early 2000s, there was a handful of members. And now the membership is almost like 100. And the membership is not just local gallery, but also international gallery. So, so if you look at the gallery association, how they've grown. Um, so there was really a lot of, um, a lot of excitement. And yes, we definitely want to uh, uh, attribute that to uh, West Kowloon M plus, and then also Central Police Station, uh, which is going to be under the auspices of the Jockey Club, Hong Kong Jockey Club that will come on board um, later on this year. Uh, I had a sneak peek of it this morning. So oh, really? Why, they have a wonderful uh, exhibition called Rehearsal. So it's technically not open. It's your hard hat. But the the, the building is design, also designed. Um, the, it's also an old building, old historical building, converted into a wonderful. You know, they have a wonderful theater space and also uh, a gallery space that are a lot bigger than ours and uh, designed by Herzog Demiron, who is also designing uh, M Plus. So it's really exciting to see these these projects finally um, coming on board. We we were ahead of the curve, um, and somebody also said to me, "Am I worried that we're going to be?" be displaced and I said heck no because if you look at New York well once they're here we are no longer relevant and I would say rising tides raised all ships if you look at New York London um, you have big museum you have boutique museum you, you have a whole gamut of arts and cultural institutions and we are we're not going anywhere we're one of them um, and we're just really delighted and looking forward to working with all of them. We already work with all of them now. Um, uh, in fact, we've been working with West Kowloon uh, for the last couple of years. They've done um, uh, these producers forums. They invite uh, producers from all over the world talking about what are some of the things that they can collaborate on the producers forum. We're doing it again this year. We've hosted conferences or, or, or co-hosted conferences with M+. Uh, they've invited um, uh, creators from all over the world talking about uh, the future uh, of art scene here in Hong Kong, and they post it here. So we're really looking forward to, to the next, I'm looking personally looking forward to the next three years. Um, every year, there will be a major art institution coming online, and we know who they are, and some of my staff have uh, been recruited to join these other uh, organizations, which it, it's it's uh, bodes well for us. We serve as kind of a training ground in some ways. Um, so I'm actually really optimistic about this um, Hong Kong as a art hub, uh, arts and culture hub, um, not just commercially. I mean, I think people have been focusing so much on the, um, the Art Basel and Art Central because they're art fair. I think they contribute to that, but I also think um, institutions like M Plus, uh, Central Police Station—they're—they're—they're they're, they're calling themselves an art center. Um, I think that all bodes well for Hong Kong as a cultural hub, not only for Greater China but all of Asia, um, because you're hearing about um, these museums in Thailand, in Indonesia, 
uh, they're all building, um, they all have plans to build world-class museum themselves. And so uh, whether it's co- in collaboration with other people or, I mean, even now in Shenzhen, you hear about the uh, Victoria, uh, V&A has a, a collaboration. V&A is in uh, Shenzhen and Shoko. Um, so, so I think that's, we're only seeing the beginning of it. It is, it is really, and Hong Kong is the hub ge- geographically because of our Hong Kong's location. Again, you have to look at the history of Hong Kong because we were, Hong Kong was this colonial hub, part of the British empire. But even though 97 is over, it's still geographically within what, three to four hour radius, uh, of, of, of traveling. I mean, you have really major population centers here in Asia, and they're all getting wealthier. Um, and they're and one of the things that they are looking at is, is not just making money, but also looking at the, um, this is why I go back to the soul. We, we all have that right and left brain. We just cannot exist by one side of the, the brain alone. And I think now... We're we're going to be a whole. I think. I, how am I saying? It's it's like it's. We're going to Hong Kong is going to contribute to this the whole entity, the humanity of of of. of it's not just going to be business, but I think it's going to be also the the um, arts and cultural part of it. It's going to be very much part of the development of this this region. I think it's visionary. Even people who are visiting and transient in the city, they're excited about Hong Kong as this hub of art and culture. And I think you were talking about the effects of Hong Kong on a greater radius around it, but I think I'd like to focus on mainland China. Could you first give a quick explanation of what VA is to listeners that are not familiar with it? And then I would venture to guess that China does not have as developed of a museum industry outside of tier one cities. So your Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Guangzhou... How do you think China is developing in terms of curating art and building the associated spaces and museums? And to what extent is there collaboration with Hong Kong? Well, I think what's really exciting, uh, the VNA is Victoria and Albert Museum. I think they basically have a kind of an offshoot in Shenzhen. Uh, it's called, it's not VNA, it's called Design it's a design city. It's it's uh, there's a particular name, and VNA is part of this whole complex in Shenzhen. So it's just across the border from Hong Kong. So that's that VNA and the design. I think it's design form. I can't remember the name, uh, but it's um it opened last November. I haven't seen it yet. But those who have seen it have been you know really excited about that. And I think with China, I. And, re- and, and another thing that um, I haven't mentioned, too, is besides M+, um, Hong Kong just formalized an agreement with the Palace Museum. Uh, the Palace Museum uh, will have uh, a Palace Museum in Hong Kong after M+. That is already been agreed upon. Um, the architect has been chosen. That museum, the Hong Kong Palace Museum, uh, is almost right next door to M Plus, and my understanding is that should come online in twenty twenty two or something like that. So, so, so China's role, uh, Hong Kong's role with with Greater China, with that is going to be really exciting. So, I'm hoping, selfishly, I would love, and 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 when I say something, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, um, at least I, I I'm I'm um, kind of 
wishful thinking, I guess. But can you imagine that Hong Kong's Palace Museum can host wonderful, uh, never before, you know, work of art that's in Taipei's Palace Museum and China's Palace Museum, and they can reunite here at the uh, Hong Kong Palace Museum. I don't see why not. And and for me, I'm I'm not I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about culture. Right. I know there are some wonderful work of arts that I know officials from both sides would like to see it united um, for for even for a short period of time. There were some wonderful masterpieces. So that would be really uh, groundbreaking. And I one of our first mainland speakers um, in I believe it was 2012 or 13 uh, with uh, director Shan from Palace Museum. He spoke here um, and to a sold-out crowd. And he, he had just become the, the director of Palace Museum maybe a year or two before, so he was quite new in his job. And, and I remember he said China was building one museum a day. Uh, and I'm sure it's literally. literally, and if you look at it, I think last time I heard it was like 400 some museum was built in a matter of, you know, less than, you know, over a year. Right. So one museum a day. So it's private as well as public. Uh, every provincial government wants a, some sort of museum. Um, so the museum development sector is quite um, uh, exciting. And also Asia Society uh, here in Hong Kong has worked with Asia Society in New York. We've, we've hosted several of these museum forums, um, and some of them have taken place in Beijing. And they've invited museum directors from the U.S. and China um, to talk about some of the development. So we know that's for real. And you, you know, all you have to do is go to Shanghai, um, Beijing, you know these museums um, are, are there, um, whether it's Palace Museum or a private museum, like the Long Museum and so on. Um, and the second tier cities, they all want, you know, uh, they, they have, uh, I think in Guangzhou, you have these wonderful opera houses built by Zaha Hadid. Museum is up there as well. So that is happening and that will continue to happen um how that will shape out really it depends on 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 um um on china and so and it depends on the consumer of culture in china and you know it's it's how they want to uh i mean again i go back to my my childhood growing up in taiwan with a palace museum in my backyard and that was where my parents took us. So I would love to see that as kids should not be just educated at schools. I mean, I think right now you know and I know how many of the Western museums um, do their, their family day program, children's workshops. I mean, it's vital part of the education program of any museum. And I can see um, the Chinese museum also focusing on that because um, – Museum is a wonderful place. Who says that? I think it was Pico Iyer. It's like if if you want to, if you only have a day in any big city in the world uh, uh, to go there, and you you just have to go to a museum, and you can understand that country's culture or history. In, in you know, I almost call it like history for dummies. I mean, if, if you only have an hour, and I recently was in um, uh, Madrid, and we spent time in 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 uh, Prado and and all the and in that one afternoon, you kind of got the history of. Of, uh, of of Spain it, through this these wonderful artists, right? So I think China needs to do that, and 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 we need to, um, you know, build the museums, tell our story. I I really my time at MoCA taught me the importance of telling our story, 
museum as a telling uh, as, as a institution for telling our stories. So it can be with wonderful artifacts, which Palace Museum in in in, in China has, or it could be with uh, in the case of Mocha, we had we literally had trash that some of these people picked out from Chinatown uh, because the Bachelor Society of Chinatown were dying and they were throwing away their their iron, their livelihood. You know, the, the, you know there's a reason why these livelihood, the, these Bachelor Society, they were cooks and laundry workers. Yeah. And that was part of American history. And in the 70s when these guys, they were getting older, um, throwing away, two young men, um, Chinese Americans, picked out these junks in the uh, uh, street of Chinatown and that was the genesis of Mocha. So for me, telling stories, it would be great to have uh, the the jade suit. I love that that the China the jade suit of, of, but it can also be an iron that no longer is being used. But there's a lot of story there. So I think museums, um, as a as a storytelling institution, is going to be. I think China is now also museum and technology. That's another area that I've been hearing a lot about and seeing a lot about. So maybe China, like, it has been able to leapfrog on so many things, uh, whether it's a, a, a payment, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, the Alipay or, or whatever. WeChat, the, WeChat Pay. Pay. A lot of the stuff that China has been able to kind of leapfrog other places, maybe they can do that through the museum culture. That's a very interesting insight that I never even thought about. Oh, yeah. It's this untraditional, I know China has an obscene rate of development and growth, but a museum a day? How do you even think about curating those spaces? Like, I'm guessing you're thinking about how long it takes to build an exhibition here. And the, the curator. I, I can't even wrap my mind around it. Well, but I think the design, um, I think the uh, it's a design society. At, at V&A Gallery. Um, that's the Design Society in Shenzhen. Um, uh, that's the one that we, uh, they just opened last year. Um, and I think the, the roles of the curator will change. And right now, even a lot of museums are asking, we have a wonderful curatorial team, but a lot of our exhibitions are done uh, with co-curators or guest curators and so on. So, can you imagine um, inviting your your um, audience to help you curate uh, through technology? And um, I was just at a talk the other day, and this museum uh, from Holland is talking about a VR, a virtual reality museum, right? With AR and VR, there are a lot of possibilities, and I think China will play a role. In it, and I, I think it's really up to them because if you think about the way China is doing gaming, right? The way the important gaming as a, a industry, um, I think gaming and designing exhibitions can go hand in hand. Um, having seen some of these exhibitions um, in other museums in the West, I do believe technology will play a role. And having seen it myself in the Dunhuang, I've been to Dunhuang uh, a few years ago. And the way the the exhibition, the, the visitor experience is enhanced by the film. And, and it, the film is kind of 3D. Really, you, you see the film in the visitor center before you go inside Dunhuang, the cave. And, but remember, the caves are really dark. And, and, and also because of uh, body temperature and humidity and so on, they don't want, some of the caves cannot have so many people in at one time. So the way technology can also play a role to, to for us to see it 
uh, before we get there. I, I don't think it'll ever replace the actual live um, experience. I mean, in fact, it'll enhance it, mm-hmm. right? So can you imagine um, getting online before you go to a museum? I mean, now almost like the I way... I do that before I go. Right, yeah. you, you, and you can still do virtual tours, right? But then it doesn't, it doesn't take away from you actually... You, it makes you want to go even more, right? You want to go to the space. Correct. You want to be in the space. Want, and, 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 and so later on, I think maybe through um, technology, can you imagine touching some of those works? Which, uh, you know, th- why not? If, if there are a way you can do it without harming the, the, uh, the objects. I think so, so the exciting part of that I th- will depend on, on, you know, the size because China has the size, they have the technology, they have the resources. Um, that's what I'm excited about. Um, but it still requires human. You still need curators. You still need that human touch. And it just cannot be done by a committee um, or a government at, by itself. It has to still have that scholarship. I thought you were going to go on the offshoot that it can be done by data analytics or that... AI can predict exactly what people want. But I think you're so right that it needs individual inspiration. I think the data the data analytic will play a part in it, right? Because it's it's nice to know, but I think it still needs that maybe eventually it will be replaced by that, but I think you still need that personal touch. I think that personal curation um it going you know, we were talking about the 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 heart, the love aspect of it. How can AI replace that heart? For me, when I go to see an exhibition, when I love an exhibition, and when I like an exhibition, and it, and I'm just not convinced yet that data analytics can make me love a show. Um, maybe I'll, that'll change, but I haven't seen one yet. And and those shows that I love are the ones that are curated by people who know the history who know the, 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 the background and they are, they are generally the scholars and they look at this object from multiple perspective um, and they, data sometimes to me is so star, s- sterile, it's one-sided, okay? It, it, you know, it almost kind of, um, um, when I one of the case study that I did in school, I remember um, was, do you remember the Walkman? Mm-hmm. Okay, and I remember the case study about Walkman. Uh, Sony, I think, did a did a study. I mean, they did a survey asking people if they want uh, some sort of they they can take music around in their you know portable music and with with headphones and so on, and the survey. The people told them, no, why would I want to have music when I want to listen to good music? I have one of a sound system at home. I don't want to, what do you call this, Walkman stuff? So people, what people tell you and what people really want is two different things. Sometimes I think a good curation tell you uh, what you don't want, or what you don't enjoy. And that's what I love going to see an exhibition um, I, I want to say going to see a movie, but now the movies are so predictable, right? But if you go to a good curated exhibition, and you, you, so they're already using data analytics to do exhibitions now anyway, 
right? A lot of museum because they, they want the uh, traffics and they, you know, they, they, some of the museum probably already do that, especially the science museums and all that anyway. I think you hit on this interesting point that art can give you a very visceral feeling that sometimes people aren't even comfortable with. Correct. And, and, and it just, you know, there's, especially I went out, there's just certain pieces of artwork when I see it, I think, uh, may know this gorilla girls right i mean i remember first seeing their work in houston or houston texas a few years ago i had never heard of them um and but i they asked some really interesting question their their posters about all the statistics about lack of women artists and collectors and so on i remember just coming out of that exhibition like wow i never thought of it right so so can Data and analytic give you a gorilla girl? I mean, they were here. They were one of the uh, highlights of this year's Art Basel. I was so delighted that they made it to Hong Kong. And so there are certain artists like that. I'm not sure. This You, you, you still need curators um, and, and gallerists to find them uh, because what they're doing is so sometimes so off the wall. Um, and that I really do think, um, I think science also has a, I, I do think it has a role to play. Um, I, I love watching documentaries, um, National Geographic Discovery. Me too. And the roles that these guys can play when you, you, you know, discover the mummy, uh, the other day was about the, sh- uh, the Shroud of Turin and, and, or about the, the, you know, I was talking about the jade suit. I mean, there is still a role that these, and oh, they had a wonderful show um, here in Hong Kong last year that was quite successful. It was about the mummies uh, from the, I think, British Museum. And people flocked to it because they used technology to really enhance the experience, uh, telling you, you know, what you could not, you know, on your, uh, by your eyes. So, so I do think technology has a role, but when it comes to curating, um, I like to think in the next 50 years, it is still going to be done by um, curators, but in China's case, is is um, um, training with curators um, because again, one museum a day, and many of the people who are are running the museums um, are they curators, or, or or how do you work with you know train curators or train? Um, you need professionals um, uh, or scholars um, to 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 run these institutions. I mean, because care, caretaking these artifacts, um, telling the stories, archiving them. I mean, that um, that is still going to take some, you know, resources and people to do that. Yeah, it, it seems like you're always pushing limits and thinking beyond. I think you also mentioned this theory that you have in one of your TED Talks about being a three. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about why you aspire to be a three? I don't. I don't want to give too much of it away. I am so surprised you 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 actually um, found the TED talk. <laughs> um, I did that probably about three four years ago, and um, that talk, I really did not know what I wanted to say, uh, but I had a theory, and th- this was developed when I was working at Committee at One Hundred. You know how, when I was working at, uh, not just Committee, but just throughout my career, I've noticed. I would meet people who are ones. They're the superstars. They're the 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 CEO. I mean, you, people that you just are drawn to. They're they are the stars. Whether they're museum directors, or CEOs, or um, wonderful musicians, uh, you know. Um, 
And then there are also people who are twos, people who are, they crunch the numbers. They're the lawyers. They're the accountants. They're, they're important. Um, um, but they're the one that, you know, one plus one equals two. You know, that's just the way it is. You know, they're, they're the ones that, that um, they have to see everything to, to, to you know, they, they, don't, they don't get it if, you, if they cannot touch and feel. And for me, the threes were people who are like the catalyst. It was one plus one equals three in that they make they 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 see they make things um, greater than its and then than its part, you know. And in and if it's an organization, uh, if it's an individual, um, the threes were the one that kind of were yeah they're the, the you know like like. Um, I think when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about like Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was a three. He he you know he wasn't just a technologist, but he saw beyond his field. And for me, I also look at organizations like that. You know you know and and because I was looking at my career, I so said, where do I want to be at this point in my career? Um, I can go work for a one, and I did. I mean, I I, I work for CEOs. I work. Or I can go work for a two, but I, I would not be happy with a two because I'm that's not how I think. I'm I'm I think I do think outside of the box a lot. Um, I'm more comfortable as an immigrant. I arrived in the states as a kid. I'm I'm more comfortable with not comfortable. Just it's um, I'm okay with the grays, you know. So and so the three. So I, the, the question I ask myself is: at this point in my career, where do I want to spend my time? I want to work with an organization that's a three. Uh, not personally that I want to be a three, but I want to work with an organization that's a three. That you know, you have the impact. Um, you know what you do. Um, it's boring. You know, if if you can make a three, be a three, um, it just makes your life. You're 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 contributing to society. You're it's. Uh, but remember, there's a, can be also negative threes. You know, organ some organization. Um, some individuals can be also, an, you know, I, I, I look at Adolf Hitler as an example, as a negative three. Um, and sometimes situations make people a three. You know, like maybe a disaster, natural disaster or event, um, technology. And so I think right now a lot of people can be threes because with, the, with technology, I, I look at what's happened now with um, the Me Too movement. I look at what's now with um, the the students of the you know from the shooting in, in in Texas, you know they went from no one, and now they are you know they have they they they're catalysts for a lot for some interesting change I hope, and when I was thinking about three, it's kind of really appropriate that we're talking today. Um, the three that in my mind and I in my career met Mother Teresa. I met Mother Teresa. Uh, my job in uh, my first trip to India in 89 and I thought she was a three and people like Martin Luther King was a three and so so for me it's I'm aspiring to be a three uh, but I want to also build an organization that's a three uh, so that one plus one equals three and and donors want to work with you if you are a three um, Many of them are banker, you know, they have the money, they have the resources. And I think that's where I came up with this idea of three, and, and not just Asia Society here in Hong Kong, but Asia Society globally. Uh, we just opened our 13th center in, in Tokyo. And as an organization, I've seen the evolution of it. 
um, I believe Asia society is a three. And, uh, and so individual can be a three, but I think organizations can also be a three. Right. I hear you when you say that Asia society is a three, but I'd also venture to guess that many people think of you as a three too. Well, I like to think so. I like to, I aspire to be so, but I'm not sure I'm there yet. (laughs) (laughs) So I have one last question for you. Usually for technology or science or entrepreneurship, the question of gender is usually brought up. But in the way we say it's brought up too much in those industries, I also think it's not brought up enough in other fields. So this is really just an open-ended question. What do you think it means to be a woman in arts and culture and or nonprofits? Um, Even how this has influenced you in different ways. In the arts and cultural space, you see a lot of women um, and women leaders, and I think that's that's good. But in anything, uh, if it's just too one-sided, just one sex dominate, I think I don't think it's healthy. Um, and it's almost like the way, you know, how nursing and teaching was always, you know, they see it as women's role, women's job. And arts and cultural institutions, um, like anything, like any industry, should be balanced. Balanced with, 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 you know, male and female. But I also would say in this industry, if you look at some of the heads of museum arts and cultural institutions, they are male. And I remember listening to... Um, What's her name? She was a wonderful fundraiser at NYU. She started a program for NYU fundraising. And she also has done research where, you know, in terms of pay gaps, uh, although a lot of women are in fundraising and in arts and cultural field, um, her finding um, is, in, it's not just her. I think NYU has that number. Um, they have a, f- a fundraising uh, program. And oh, I can't remember her name now. Uh, but she was kind of the, the pioneer. This She's a wonderful woman. Um, she's still alive. Her um, Naomi Levine. Naomi Levine, yes. Naomi, I remember uh, uh, listening to her talk a few times in New York. And and she, she did a great job fundraising for NYU. And she had pointed out that disparity is that the, the, the highest pay development people are still male, which I was really surprised thinking that, ooh, you know, you have a feel, you know, nonprofit sector, arts and cultural sector, a lot of women, and the higher, the people who are paid more are still the, the male uh, directors and curators and um, uh, and fundraisers, which, which surprised me. So, so I think it's important in any sector to have the balance, um, but also equitable and uh, I've been very fortunate in my career to have mentors, male and female. And they start off as my bosses and then end up as my friends and mentor. And it's really important, I cannot stress this enough, for uh, male and female to find your mentors that are both. Because it's just, it's... um, balances you. And, and, and um, I have to say my male mentor and, and female mentors have allowed me, have helped me to get where I am. 
So, so that's why in any sector, um, right now I have to say in my, I, I failed now, uh, because my staff, um, most of our, I think we're what, 70% female and, and out of the heads I have with two of our heads are, are male. And I like that balance because if it's all just one sector, and I would say that about, about Hollywood, about Wall Street, when it's dominated by not just one sex, but by, or by one uh, school or by one, uh, uh, yeah. one part of the geographic, geographic I think it's not healthy I think um and this is where um my my midwest thinking comes in um I I, the 13 years I grew up in Ohio and went to school in Ohio that that midwestern value I grew up in the midwest when people ask me they, they they you know where are you from I'm from Ohio they just like you're you can't be you must be from um China somewhere it's like but or I should be from Chinatown. It's like, I'm not. I grew up in Ohio. Uh, and this is not just me. I, I, I remember uh, Maya Lin also said the same thing. Um, Maya was my chairman when I was at Museum of Chinese America. She grew up uh, in Athens, Ohio, where her father and mother were, were professors. And she had the same, you know, she she was born in the United States. I was not. And she was born in Ohio. And we still have to justify our that we're from the Midwest. And and sometimes I think in certain industries when you're dominated by the east the coast um, and I in some ways look at where we are today in the states right now p- people feel maybe certain parts of the country are not being heard um, you have this us and them um, I don't think that's healthy so I really do think when you have um, this diversity um, and and is really important um, so I am working on making sure our board is more diversified than, than it is now. I would like to see our staffing more diversified. I am proud that we have uh, staff from uh, US, from India, from Mongolia, but we don't have anybody from China yet. We had somebody who, but she, she just um, left uh, end of last month. So I really do think diversity is really important for institutions, um, especially cultural institutions, because here in Hong Kong, um, and not just Hong Kong, you know, all cultural institutions, you have to address um, your audience, and uh, and audience increasingly are diverse. And diverse also, I mean, uh, age as well, um, because working in New York, the nine years in New York, I would go to certain institutions certain like the Met Opera or certain you, you know you, you don't it's all gray hair and that's not healthy either because that's not sustainable right um so so I think whether it's a museum um a concert hall or opera house or you know um any institution you need that that diversity in terms of um not just you know race but also age and uh, and Think about it. It's also, uh, it's more and more with technology. Your audience is from all over the world. Um, and the Met, I think, Met Museum said their number one visitor is, um, uh, international visitors are from China these days. That's, those numbers have been increasing, uh, steadily increasing for the last couple of years. So that means you also have to curate for that diverse audience. And if you're trained 
and not listening and, and from this your own perspective, then you're not going to attract the new younger audience. Maybe they still come once, but repeat audience, and more and more you want the repeat audience. So for me, I think that that diversity is not just, I, I, I'm very, I do think, the, the pay gap and the, the you know lack of um, yeah, of uh, mobility for some of the women um, executives in in either for profit or non profit is something we also need to address. Um, but I know in my sector here in Hong Kong now, um, I go to a lot of meetings. I'm not the only Asian women in the room. There are a lot of us. But if I remember in New York. I'm oftentimes the only uh, Asian woman under of a certain age in the room. And, you know, that's just, the, we need to address. Uh, and I also, I think in China as well, right now, I think China is also, everything is hierarchical and all that, you know, but the, you also have to make room to hear from uh, um, the younger um, um, the building up the base. Yes, and you have to start early. You just uh, Chinese has a has a term. Uh, For listeners that don't speak Chinese, that means making a hasty last minute effort. You can't do that. You, you, you know, you kind of have to continue start. And right now, China has the ability. Now you we're building these institution. Now you know there's no baggage in some ways. So this is a really a good time to to build that audience and incorporate that audience in its development um, and uh, and giving them some say in the building, in the, in the content, in the curation of it. Okay. I have one last burning question I lied. Um, what is one piece of advice that someone has given to you that you've recently given to someone else? Never burn your bridges. Okay. I've given that advice to somebody else recently. And that was an advice given to me by my um, first boss. And I still talk to her quite often. And we always think we're right and compromises. And I think no matter what you do in your career, you never want to burn your bridges. And humility Humility is really, really uh, important uh, in career, but also in life. And you, there's always something to learn. And and this is one of the reasons I love what I do. I mean, I'm always learning. I enjoy, you know, right now people talk about lifelong education. You know, I mean, life should be about learning. You know, who says you stop learning after you get your degrees and all that. And so in, in the case of this, never burn your bridges also means you never stop learning. And you may think you know everything, but do you really? And so the ability to listen and in, in some of the things um, that, that you think is right, maybe right before, but you've got to look at the situation now. And the advice I gave to that person was just looking at the big picture. Um, you know, uh, she had a wonderful opportunity to go to do something, um, but 
by saying yes to this opportunity, she may burn the bridge of the other person, uh, this other. So the question I asked her was, think about it. You know, what are what is the way that you can come up with a solution that's still good for you, but still not going to burn your bridge with the other person? I mean, you, you know, you, you have to be able to explain um, your actions and, uh, and, and, um, it's not take it or leave it. And, uh, and, and I hope she took my advice and I think she did. And, uh, so, so that advice has always come in handy. And I say that to, to, to my staff, all the people, young people I come across is just never burn your bridges. I think that's really good advice. And, and this is the advice I want to give to, um, the both presidents right now. <laughs> right? Right? I, I, you know, I, I can only hope because I was watching the news today and I was like very depressed and I was like, oh my God, if you just want to prove, if, if ego involve and, and then how, how awful it would be for all of us, but just, but some people just don't listen, but, but those who are listening, never burn your bridges. On that note, thank you so much. This has been such a treat to just chat with you and hear about your perspectives, not only on Asia society, but on your own personal experiences. No, this is fun. This is fun. Good luck with this. Thanks. And that's all for today. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to Ta for Ta wherever you get your podcasts. Episode suggestions, interview requests, or you just want to chat, please send those inquiries to ta.4.ta.china at gmail.com. See you next time.